making that the government is prohibited from prosecuting them because they have a pardon. This is about. Should know, Brian, this is from is one year ago about who Trump pardoned. At the Department of Justice. And there is a whole bunch of rules and procedures and protocol in place. Okay, hold on. Hold up. Now we've got 30-year former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters on YouTube, my friend Glenn Kirshner. Glenn, thanks for coming back on. Great to be with you, Brian. So let's start off first with pardons. Uh, we've heard a lot about pardons lately. We know that Rudy Giuliani and Mark Meadows requested one, along with testimony that Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Biggs, Gosar, Brooks all requested ones as well. Is there any indication to suggest whether they were granted those pardons that they requested, and how would you know? So this is going to be the big reveal. When people begin um, uh, to be on the receiving end of indictments, and let's hope they are sometime soon, what they'll do is they'll pull a pardon out of their back pocket, and they'll claim that the government is prohibited from prosecuting them because they have a pardon. The way we should know, Brian, is there's an office of the pardon attorney at the Department of Justice, and there is a whole bunch of rules and procedures and protocol in place by which applications for a pardon are vetted through the office of the party pardon attorney. They're investigated. Recommendations are made to the president. And then once granted, they are accorded. So everybody knows precisely what the president is doing on the pardon front. However, all of that is waivable by the president. So, you know, if you listen to what people who used to work at the office of the pardon attorney say, they say virtually the president could doodle a pardon on a cocktail napkin, or worse, he could deliver an oral pardon. And there is nothing to say in the law or the Constitution that would not be a validly delivered pardon. So how would we know? We would know if they followed procedures, which we know they didn't. There are another couple of indicators, though, based on what we have learned, that suggests some people may have pardons. One of the things a pardon does is it extinguishes your right against self-incrimination, your Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution. So in theory, if you have a presidential pardon, you can't go in to a hearing, whether a congressional hearing or a criminal proceeding, and invoke the Fifth. Why? Because you don't have a Fifth. Now, let's use that data point and look at what some of the people have done when they've been called to testify before the January 6th Select Committee. Jeffrey Clark pled the fifth. That suggests he has no pardon. Mike Flynn pled the fifth. No pardon. John Eastman pled the fifth. No pardon. Who didn't plead the fifth? Much to my surprise, Rudy Giuliani. We know Rudy Giuliani has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because he's being investigated by the Department of Justice, most directly the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office, which more than a year ago now acquired a search warrant to seize Rudy Giuliani's electronic devices because a judge concluded there was probable cause that there was evidence of crime in Rudy's electronic devices. So for openers right there, Rudy Giuliani has a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, but he did not invoke it based on what we know of his appearance before the January 6th committee. That's a data point, Brian, suggesting he has a pardon. It doesn't guarantee that he does because he could just be that reckless. After all, we, we know Rudy. But who are the other people who went in and testified rather than invoking their fifth? 
um, Jared Kushner, Don Jr., Ivanka. And here is, to me, the most compelling data point. What did Kellyanne Conway reveal in her book? Now, if we credit what she says, they may be alternative facts, we don't know, but Kellyanne Conway in her book said, at the end of his term, Donald Trump you know, ambled up to me and said, I'm going to use her word, hey, honey, you want a pardon? Everybody needs one. And she reports that she said, Mr. President, unless you know something I don't know, I don't think I need one. So no, thank you very much. She said she said she politely declined. But what does that tell us? If Donald Trump is ambling up to people who are, who are further removed from him and from his inner circle, like a Kellyanne Conway, do we really think he didn't give his own lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who did all that corrupt bidding for him, his own family members? Do we really think he exercised sound judgment and restraint and didn't give them pardons? Well, I guess that would beg the question then, with regard to Eastman and Clark and Flynn, why not give them pardons? Like, what does he have to lose by handing them out to, to, to the rest of these guys, the people who were, who were on his team, who were helping navigate or create this whole election theft scheme? Because as a prosecutor, I would argue that when one co-conspirator delivers a pardon to another co-conspirator, it is deeply incriminating evidence, and a judge, 10 times out of 10, would rule it was admissible to show that they were in the conspiracy together, and he was trying to give his co-conspirator a pass. Because if his co-conspirator doesn't get a pass, gets prosecuted or pressured, threatened with prosecution, what is that co-conspirator going to do? Going to flip against Donald Trump. And remember, I'm, I am loath. I'm going to hesitate before I say this. I am loath to quote Bill Barr's authority for anything. Yeah. But even Bill Barr testified under oath that if a president delivered a pardon to somebody in exchange for that person's silence about the president's crimes, that would be a criminal offense. Even corrupt Attorney General Bill Barr recognizes that. So you're saying that Donald Trump left his co-conspirators out to dry, how unlike him, while trying to save his own ass. Um, I, I guess with regard to these specific people who sought the pardons, we know that seeking a pardon is evidence of consciousness of guilt. Does that play into a prosecutor's judgment in terms of handing down an indictment? It, it does. So the Supreme Court many years ago, in a case uh, in which the, the litigant was a guy named George Burdick, he was a newspaper man in New York, um, the Supreme Court said two things about pardons. It said that a pardon is some indication of guilt. The precise language is they say a pardon carries with it an imputation of guilt. The second thing they said is accepting a pardon is some admission of guilt. If I were a prosecutor and I knew it, let, let's take a concrete example, Brian. We know Steve Bannon got a pardon from Donald Trump because he was indicted federally. He was being prosecuted for stealing from Donald Trump's base by creating this bogus We Build the Wall Foundation. How, how unseemly is it that Donald Trump pardoned Bannon for stealing from Trump's base? We don't know if Bannon well, got to keep the money. Donald Trump did it from his own base, so I guess he what's, does. What's, fair, fair what's, what's Steve Bannon doing it, you know? Fair enough. What was I thinking? Um, but now we know Bannon is being investigated for state crimes in connection with that, what was basically a financial fraud scheme. 
Because one thing I can promise you, when somebody like Steve Bannon commits federal financial crimes, including um, federal tax fraud, he absolutely commits state tax fraud as well. And fortunately, the New York authorities are potentially pursuing charges against Bannon in New York state court. If I were the prosecutor, I would say to the state court judge, you know, judge, the Supreme Court has said receiving a pardon, accepting a pardon is an admission of guilt. We want to introduce into evidence against Steve Bannon in his state case the fact that he accepted the federal pardon for virtually identical crimes. I think the judge would rule in favor of the prosecution. Yeah, that's actually, I, that's, a, that's a pretty brilliant point that I hadn't thought of at all. Just a quick question on that. Um, there wouldn't be any, any degree of like double jeopardy by virtue of charging Bannon with the same crime on the state level as he was charged on the federal level, would there? Double jeopardy only applies when you're dealing with one jurisdiction or one sovereign. So you can't try somebody twice for the same crime in federal court, and you can't charge them or try them twice for the same crime in state court, but double jeopardy does not cross jurisdictional lines. So sometimes you can be prosecuted in federal court and then prosecuted for identical conduct in state court. Now, in terms of this latest hearing uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson as the witness, she revealed that Trump knew that the protesters were armed and he still wanted security measures waived. And she testified that he wanted to join the protesters as they marched to the Capitol, basically him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement between two or more people. What it does prove is it provides additional proof of Donald Trump's treason. And I use that word advisedly. But even before I get there, I think it provides further proof of a seditious conspiracy as it relates to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, potentially, because they were armed, they were in the crowd, they've already been charged with seditious conspiracy. Fortunately, members of both organizations are cooperating with prosecutors. So I think before too long, we're going to hear about the links that are being built to guys like Bannon and Roger Stone, and perhaps directly to Meadows and right into the Oval Office. We have to wait to see how the evidence plays out in that regard. But I think it also ups the criminal ante with respect to the evidence of inciting an insurrection, inciting a riot, which is a different charge, and indeed inciting an armed insurrection. And there's another crime that I think is directly in play that we haven't heard much about after Cassidy Hutchinson talked about how he knew his supporters were armed with assault rifles, pistols, and other weapons. He said, take down the metal detectors, let them in, and then we will all march to the Capitol. As you say, that is him intending to lead an armed attack on the Capitol. So there's a crime called 18 United States Code 111, and it is assaulting a, a, a government official. And let's think about Mike Pence. Because Mike Pence was in the performance of his official duties certifying Joe Biden's win. And 18 U.S.C. 111 says, if you assault or otherwise interfere, impede, or in obstruct the, uh, a, an official, a government official,
inciting assault a public official, Mike Pence, exclamation point. Prosecutor Glenn Kirchner. During the course of their duties or because of their official duties, you're guilty of assaulting a public official. Wait, I'm going to rewind so in that. In terms of this latest hearing that, uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson, get all the, the different uh, she revealed that charges. Protesters were he armed says. and he still wanted security measures waived. And she testified that he wanted to join the protesters as they marched to the Capitol. Basically, him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement between two or more people. What it does prove is it provides additional proof of Donald Trump's treason, and I use that word advisedly. But even before I get there, I think it provides further proof of a seditious conspiracy as it relates to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, potentially. Because they were armed, they were in the crowd, they've already been charged with seditious conspiracy. Fortunately, members of both organizations are cooperating with prosecutors. So I think before too long, we're going to hear about the links that are being built to guys like Bannon and Roger Stone and perhaps directly yeah, to Meadows and right into Charge the Oval him. Office. We have to wait to see how the evidence plays out in that, that regard. But I think it also ups the criminal ante with respect to the evidence of inciting an insurrection inciting a riot, which is a different charge, and indeed inciting an armed insurrection. And there's another crime that I think is directly in play that we haven't heard much about after Cassidy Hutchinson talked about how he knew his supporters were armed with assault rifles, pistols, and other weapons. He said, take down the metal detectors, let them in, and then we will all march to the Capitol. As you say, that is him intending to lead an armed attack on the Capitol. So there's a crime called 18 United States Code 111, and it is assaulting a, a, a government official. And let's think about Mike Terrorism. Pence. Because Mike Pence was in the performance of his official duties certifying Joe Biden's win. And 18 USC 111 says, if you assault or otherwise interfere, impede, or in obstruct 
the uh, a, an official, a government official, during the course of their duties or because of their official duties, you're guilty of assaulting a public official, and it's an eight-year offense unless weapons are involved. If weapons are involved, it's a 20-year offense. Now, you can only stack up so many charges on Donald Trump. You can only confine him for but one lifetime. But boy, it, it, it is a smorgasbord of criminal charges against Donald Trump. Explain the process to me. Let's say on some planet in a faraway galaxy, Donald Trump gets charged by the DOJ. What happens next and what recourse does Trump have? What happens next, and I would bet the dollar, that's my betting limit, I'm not a high roller, that Donald Trump delivered himself a pardon because when was he ever going to forego a good grift, right? His advisors could have told him all day long, Mr. President, we think a self-pardon is a bad thing because you're actually admitting your own guilt by pardoning yourself. He did it. He has it in his back, back, back. Trump. Explain the process to me. L let's say on some planet in a faraway galaxy. Trump. Explain the process to me. Now, in terms of this latest hearing uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson as the witness, she revealed that Trump knew that the protesters were armed and he still wanted security measures waived. And she testified that he wanted to join the protesters as they marched to the Capitol. Basically him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement. Now, in terms of this latest hearing uh, with Cassidy Hutchinson as the witness, she revealed that Trump knew that the protesters were armed and he still wanted security measures waived. And she testified that he wanted to join the protesters as they marched to the Capitol. Basically him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement between two or more people. What it does prove is it provides additional proof of Donald Trump's treason. And I use that word advisedly. Treason. But even before I get there, I think it provides further proof of a seditious conspiracy as it relates to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, potentially, because they were armed. Those they are his the militias, by the way. They've been charged with seditious conspiracy. 18 years in prison. Members of both organizations are cooperating with prosecutors. So I think before too long, we're going to hear about the links that are being built to guys like Bannon and This Roger was a Stone year ago. So call the DOJ and tell them to hurry the F up. We have to wait to see how the evidence plays out in that regard. And disqualify Trump. The criminal anti with respect and to remove the all the traitors from Congress. Inciting a riot, which is a different charge, and indeed inciting an armed insurrection. There and you there's go. another crime that I think is directly in play that we the haven't heard much about. The top prosecutor, Justice Matters, Glenn Kirchner. talked about how he knew his supporters were armed with assault rifles, pistols, and other weapons. He said, take down the metal detectors let them in, and then we will all march to the Capitol. As you say, that is him intending to lead an armed attack on the Capitol. So there's a crime called 18 United States Code 111, and it is assaulting a, a, a government official. And let's think about Mike Pence, because Mike Pence was in the performance of his official duties certifying Joe Biden's whip. And 18 U.S.C. 111 says, if you assault or otherwise interfere, impede, or mm -hmm. obstruct the uh, a, an official. A he said Mike official Pence deserved to get hanged. Duties or 
because of their official duties, you're guilty of assaulting a public official. And it's That's an terrorism. eight year offense unless weapons are involved. If weapons are involved, it's a 20 year offense. Now, you can okay, only so stack up so many that, charges on Donald just for that Trump. Charge. You can only confine him for but one lifetime. Boy, it, it, it is oh. a smorgasbord. Send him of to the electric chair. That'll Explain the be process fun. to me. Uh -huh. Let's say on some planet in a faraway galaxy, Donald Trump gets charged by the DOJ. What happens next, and what recourse does Trump have? What happens next, and I would bet the dollar, that's my betting limit, I'm not a high roller, that Donald Trump delivered himself a pardon, because when was he ever going to forego a good grift? Right? His advisors could have told him all day long, Mr. President, we think a self-pardon is a bad thing because you're actually admitting your own guilt by pardoning yourself. He did it. He has it in his back, back, back pocket. I am convinced. So the first thing he would do, is he would pull out that pardon and then the Department of Justice would have to litigate whether a presidential self-pardon is constitutional. <laughs> There's no legal authority, there's no precedent because a court has never taken that issue up. But there is an Office of Legal Counsel opinion that is a product of the Watergate days that says summarily, you won't be presidential self-pardon is not permitted because no man can be a judge in his own case. That, and it's completely devoid of legal reasoning or authority, so I don't think it's, it's really worth the paper it's written on, but the Department of Justice Office of Legal Counsel, at least in the 70s, took that position. So I think a court would strike down a presidential self-pardon. Then the next thing is he would be hauled into court, he would be arraigned on the indictment, the judge would make but it's probably not the difficult decision about whether to detain him pending trial or put him on release, home detention, electronic monitoring. How about trial, none of that shit? How about pre-trial incarceration? Uh, pre-trial detention, in my yeah. estimation. Um, and then motions Since would be he's set, threatening judges and stuff. And a trial date would be set. And here's one thing I am sure of. We and can a menace to society. to try Donald Trump. I am convinced of that from spending 30 years picking juries in the courts of Washington, D.C. Can they appeal a the, the verdict in a jury trial? Yes, you can always appeal a guilty verdict. Um, the defendants of health- She revealed that Trump knew that the protesters were armed and he still wanted security measures waived. What if Trump pardoned himself? Basically him physically leading an insurrection. Does that prove criminal conspiracy? Um, well, it doesn't prove conspiracy because conspiracy would be an agreement, a criminal agreement between two or more people. What, what it does heinous crimes did Diaper Don commit? Trump's treason, and I use that word advisedly. Treason! But even before I get there, I think it provides further proof of a seditious conspiracy as it relates to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, potentially. Because they were armed. Those Inciting an armed insurrection. 
inciting insurrection, inciting a riot. Rights are are vast. The prosecution's appellate rights are very limited. Usually, if the judge makes a pretrial ruling that is dispositive of the case, for example, if a judge ruled in pretrial litigation that I don't think you can try a former president and dismissed the indictment, that would be an appealable ruling by the prosecutors. But appealable rulings by prosecutors are very few and far between. What's the end of the line in terms of an appeal? Like, how far does Trump can Trump go in terms of, let's say, you know, all the stars align and he does, and and the jury does uh, uh, find him guilty. How far can he go in terms in of? In theory, he can go all the way up to the Supreme Court. He would go from the federal district trial court to the D.C. federal circuit court of appeals, and then up to the Supreme Court if the Supreme Court decided to exercise jurisdiction. There are thousands of cases appealed to the Supreme Court every year. And they only accept review of a very small fraction of those cases because most cases don't present an important constitutional issue to be resolved. Now, if we convicted a former president, I'm quite sure the Supreme Court would want to weigh in, right? Here's the good news, and you know, I, I have not been pulling out the O word, optimism, all that much recently, but the court, in my opinion, held fast in the election challenge. Cases, right? They did not accept review in a single case that was attacking Joe Biden's win. Why? Well, one would like to think because there were no significant constitutional issues to be litigated. I think there's something else at play. If the Supreme Court accepted review of, the, of a case 
and did something that installed Donald Trump as a de facto dictator. You know what dictators have no need for? Supreme a Court. Supreme Court. So I don't trust the good judgment, the honor, or the ethics of the Supreme Court as presently constituted, but I do trust that they are so power-hungry and egomaniacal, and they so dearly covet their power. What heinous crimes did Diaper Don actually commit, according to top prosecutor uh, Glenn Kirshner of Justice Matters? Exclamation point. And what if Diaper Donald pardoned himself? Question mark. Hashtag FYP. Hashtag for you. Hashtag for you. by these protesters about the illegality of John Eastman's scheme for Mike Pence. Um, and yet he continued to lie and incite violence regardless. Is there any reason that you could find that the DOJ would not indict Trump? Is there, you know, are there any potential holes in the DOJ's case against him? No. This case, based on the public reporting alone, is stronger than the vast majority of cases I tried hashtag as a career you, Hashtag for you, hashtag FYP, hashtag for you, hashtag trending. Decision. It will Hashtag not be a decision politics. based on the facts and based on an application of the law to those facts. But given some of these recent revelations, together with witness tampering, which is a big deal and should be handled in a way very different from the other substantive crimes that Donald Trump committed, um, I don't think the Department of Justice can decline to prosecute Donald Trump and retain any modicum of legitimacy as a law enforcement agency. And I think Merrick Garland is keenly interested in the legitimacy of the Department of Justice as an institution. <laughs> and the only way to retain that legitimacy is by holding Trump accountable for his crimes. So Mike Flynn uh, pleaded the fifth when asked if he believes in a peaceful transition of power. What was your response to that moment? My response to that moment was, and I'm a former Army JAG prosecutor. I tried court martial cases back in the 80s into the early 90s. Mike Flynn should be restored to active duty and should be court-martialed, period. And there are cases, appellate court cases, that stand for the proposition that that is a lawful process, that the military can restore to active duty a retired officer and can prosecute him for his crimes, including crimes he committed while retired. This, we are paying his, his retirement salary, and he is saying, I would incriminate myself if I answered the question whether I believe in the peaceful transition of presidential power. That's an abomination, and that is it's an obscenity for a retired military flag officer to give that kind of an answer. Okay, so let's finish off with this. You know, more than ever before, people have been writing to me that they're scared about what's going on, that they feel powerless. Like, I've, I've been doing these videos for years. Even in the depths of the Trump administration, it never felt so dire. Obviously, the Supreme Court has a lot to do with that, too. But also the way that Trumpism has pervaded almost every race across the country as we head into midterms now. What do you say to people who see how dismal things have been going, you know, who are looking for some reassurance? So it's hard to reassure them substantively because DOJ has lingered far too long without charging any of the command structure of the insurrection. I still believe that's coming. Um, but what I tell people is engage, engage, engage. So one of the things I did was I printed out from the uh, Virginia government website a stack of voter registration forms. Check your local state 
rules, regulations, and statutes to make sure you're not running afoul of them. And I choose to act as my own little mobile voter registration unit. I don't care if it's the grocery store, the gas station, or... That won't matter if we don't like, put these fucking traitors and terrorists in, in prison. In to vote? I have a form here, and I'm happy to help you fill it out if you need help. Uh, if time everybody engaged, Brian, I, I think, and, and it's not... This is not just window dressing. I mean, if everybody engaged like that, you know, we could probably vote in numbers too big to rig and too real to steal, notwithstanding the state legislature's, you know, determination to nullify our votes. We can overcome that. And that kind of engagement, I think, makes you feel good, gives you purpose, and it's motivating. That's something you can do concretely to, to kind of hold at bay the, the despair and desperation. We are on the exact same page on this. People have asked me, you know, like, what can I do? I said, number one, the very first thing that you can do is just be responsible for your circle of people and just find a couple people who haven't voted. I mean, we all have somebody in our family, in our group of friends who, you know, doesn't vote, who is more apolitical, who who uh, sees themselves as, like, more in the middle of both sides. You know, like, everybody has that person. But if you look at Wisconsin, for example, Biden won the election in Wisconsin by three votes per precinct. That's it. So, like, if you don't think that you can have a huge impact by just finding one or two or three people in your circle who you can convince to vote, or not in your circle, like you said, if you're just, you know, out and about, um, it can have a big impact. And so that's the number one thing I would say as well, is just to, like, get people involved in this process um, so, so you're, you're, you're exactly on the mark there. Glenn, uh, I'll leave it there because I know I could ask you questions all day long and, uh, and you probably want to go have meals and whatnot. So <laughs> thank you for all of your time. I appreciate it. And, uh, real quick, let us know, let people watching and listening know where they can, uh, find, find more of you. Uh, yeah, they can find me on the social media platforms. I think that's what they call them. I'm still playing catch up on social media, but on YouTube, I have a, a YouTube channel called Justice Matters, but I think everything is run other, under Glenn Kirshner 2. So Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, on Instagram, on what YouTube, or just Kirshner put my name in, put Justice Matters in, and it will pop up. It's always free to subscribe. And that's where I get to air out the legal issues of the day, seven days a week. Put a little bit more meat on the bones than I get in the three minutes I'm on with MSNBC each day. So if you, you want to get a little a fuller explanation of the legal issues of the day, I invite you to come on over to YouTube to Justice Matters. And that's Glenn, G-L-E-N-N. Glenn, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Go check it out. Go subscribe. It's great stuff. Great guy. To discuss this week's news, both here and abroad, we turn now to the analysis of Brooks and Capehart. That is New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, associate editor for the Washington Post. Good to see you both. Kevin McCarthy ready to be shamed again as he disses Trump. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Kevin McCarthy is going to have to beg for forgiveness from his cult leader Donald Trump in 3, 2, 1. A new article by Politico states that Kevin McCarthy is declining to endorse Donald Trump because he is looking to avoid a GOP civil war and the article goes on to explain how Kevin McCarthy even though he is secretly likely backing Donald Trump because he is a Donald Trump cult supporter he is not publicly going to endorse any candidate
candidate because he views that as the weakest speaker of the House in history. This is how he keeps his incredibly weak coalition together. And one of the things this article goes on to say, and it uh, cites a anonymous uh, Republican who considers themselves a centrist. I don't even know how that's even possible, but basically saying that if Donald Trump were to be the candidate for the Republicans in 2024 for president, that the Republicans would likely lose the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy would undoubtedly not be the minority leader and any proximity to power he once had within the Republican Party will be completely gone. And so McCarthy is in this kind of catch-22 of his own making right now. He's got the radical right so-called freedom that's what they call themselves. So extreme that they kicked out Marjorie Taylor Greene for not being extreme enough for that last month. We just reported about that yesterday when we learned about it. They're all MAGA Republican uh, Trump cult supporters. You've got about 60 MAGA Republicans. They're all MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives. If you're in the Republican Party, that is. You've got MAGA Republicans. You've got Democrats who support democracy. Not even Republicans are fucking MAGA About 60 of the MAGA Republicans have already endorsed Trump. And a bunch of others who are in states and specifically districts that President Biden won, they're like, if Trump's the candidate, we're going to lose our seats. And then the House will turn blue. According to the article, it says that some Republicans already view McCarthy as a Trump backer and all but name pro-Trump MAGA Republican Dan Muser suggested that the speaker is subtly clearing a path for his members to rally behind Trump by the end of the primary. User summed up that McCarthy's 2024 message to House Republicans is like this. Hey, you're with DeSantis right now. That's okay. We get that. You're with Mike Pence, Tim Scott. But in the end, we've got to come together with who's going to be our winning candidate. The individual who tried to overthrow our democracy. The individual who posts QAnon memes every single day on his social media platform. The individual who, in all caps, writes the most deranged stuff. Any one of the sentences should be disqualifying. The individual who makes songs with the January 6th insurrectionist, the uh, individual who spread massive amounts of COVID disinformation and caused the deaths of over one million Americans, the, uh, the, 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 that individual, the twice indicted, twice impeached loser, mm. that, yeah, that, that individual, according to Politico, goes another House conservative, and again, you know how we use the word conservative here on the Midas Touch Network, which is, no if you don't support our democracy, if you're pro-insurrection, if you're QAnon memeing it, you ain't a conservative. So take the labels with a grain of salt. That's used by other media networks. But Politico says, another conservative granted anonymity to speak candidly said that a Trump endorsement might only make matters worse for McCarthy and his, quote, incredibly split conference. The reality is, if we get Trump, there's probably a good possibility that we don't keep the House next fall, said this conservative who has not endorsed in the primary. McCarthy knows that. He knows that if Trump on top of the ticket, that we probably lose New York and California. If we lose the House, there's no way McCarthy stays as minority leader. 
he is gone. Article goes on to say several Republican lawmakers said that a McCarthy endorsement this early could exact a political toll on House Republicans by sparking disunity and infighting ah, across different GOP factions, more, more divisions that could seep into the rest of their agenda. What 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 is their agenda? <laughs> can someone tell me they what the MAGA Republican agenda is? Is it what making more songs with the insurrectionists? Is it what coming up with fake whistleblowers and pretending that there's evidence that really turns out doesn't exist every single week is is, is, is that is that what their agenda is is it talking about uh hunter biden nude videos every week because they're obsessed with that's their uh that's their agenda Weakest Speaker of the House in history. This is how he keeps his incredibly weak coalition together. And one of the things this article goes on to say, and it uh, cites a anonymous uh, Republican who considers himself a centrist. I don't even know how that's even possible. But basically saying that if Donald Trump were to be the candidate for the Republicans in 2024 for president, that the Republicans would likely lose the House of Representatives. Kevin McCarthy would undoubtedly not be the minority leader, and any proximity to power he once had within the Republican Party will be completely gone. And so McCarthy is in this kind of catch-22 of his own making right now. He's got the radical right so-called Freedom Caucus, that's what they call themselves, so extreme that they kicked out Marjorie Taylor Greene for not being extreme enough for that <laughs> last month. We just reported about that Hilarious. yesterday when we learned about it. They're all MAGA Republican uh, Trump cult supporters. You've got about 60 MAGA Republicans. They're all MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives now. If you're in the Republican Party, that is. You've got MAGA Republicans. You've got Democrats who support democracy. It's just that simple. About 60 of the MAGA Republicans have already endorsed Trump, and a bunch of others who are in states and specifically districts that President Biden won, they're like, if Trump's the candidate, we're going to lose our seats, and then the House will turn blue. According to the article, it says that some Republicans already view McCarthy as a Trump backer in all but name. Pro-Trump MAGA Republican Dan Muser suggested that the speaker is subtly clearing a path for his members to rally behind Trump by the end of the primary. Muser summed up that McCarthy's 2024 message to House Republicans is like this. Hey, you're with DeSantis right now. That's okay. We get that. You're with Mike Pence, Tim Scott. But in the end, we've got to come together with who's going to be our winning candidate. The individual who tried to overthrow our democracy. The individual who posts QAnon memes every single day on his social media platform. The individual who, in all caps, writes the most deranged stuff any one of the sentences should be disqualifying. The individual who makes songs with the January 6th insurrectionist, the uh, individual who spread massive amounts of COVID disinformation and caused the deaths of over 1 million Americans, the uh, 
that individual, the twice indicted, twice impeached loser, that that, that individual, according to Politico, goes another House conservative. And again, you know how we use the word conservative here in the United If you don't support our democracy, if you're pro insurrectionist, if you're QAnon memeing it, you ain't a conservative. So take the labels with a grain of salt. That's used by other media networks. So Politico says another conservative granted anonymity to speak candidly said that a Trump endorsement might only make matters worse for McCarthy and his, quote, incredibly split conference. The reality is, if we get Trump, there's probably a good possibility that we don't keep the House next fall, said this conservative who has not endorsed in the primary. McCarthy knows that. He knows that if Trump on top of the ticket, that we probably lose New York and California. If we lose the House, there's no way McCarthy stays as minority leader. He is gone. The article goes on to say several Republican lawmakers said that a McCarthy endorsement this early could exact a political toll on House Republicans by sparking disunity and infighting across different GOP factions, divisions that could seep into the rest of their agenda. What what is their agenda? (laughs) Can someone tell me what the MAGA Republican agenda is? Is it what, making more songs with the insurrectionists? Is it what, coming up with fake whistleblowers and pretending that there's evidence that really turns out doesn't exist every single week? Is is that that what their agenda is? Is it talking about uh, Hunter Biden nude videos every week? (laughs) They're obsessed with that's their uh, that's their agenda. They ain't talking about what they're going to be doing for the American people. That's for sure. Quote, there's not a person who is more black and white, who is more hot and cold, who is more politically divisive than Trump, said one centrist Republican who represents a district that President Joe Biden carried in 2020. Quote, so while McCarthy spent six months keeping us all together, it's like the worst thing that you can do is take a stance for or against Trump. How about you take a stance for our democracy? Yeah, fairly simple. Take a stance that actually supports our Constitution. How about you take a stance that actually helps Americans? Helps yeah. Americans with jobs and health care and social security and Medicare. And how about we take a position that does that? Here is a clip of Liz Cheney from the other day where she says there's really nobody more responsible for rehabbing Donald Trump's image than Kevin McCarthy. Here, play this clip. Uh, former Republican Liz Cheney, play the clip. I think it's important to say that, you know, Kevin uh, began in those days on January 6th and the days after January 6th. He seems to understand how how grave and dangerous this was. Um, but I don't know that there is anybody more coward. responsible for rehabilitating Donald Trump and the danger that he presents than Kevin McCarthy. Because... Because, you know, the month of January wasn't even out, and Kevin went to Mar-a-Lago uh, basically to rehabilitate Donald Trump. And, of course, on cue, the MAGA Republican uh, echo chamber, the cult echo chamber, uh, they're already out ridiculing uh, Kevin McCarthy and his 
fascist weirdo sidekick Marjorie Taylor Greene. Here is Trump cultist Laura Luber uh, on the Steve Bannon show um, saying that, oh, shouldn't Marjorie Taylor Greene tell Kevin McCarthy he better endorse Trump? Here, play the clip. Just exposed last week, as you talked about on your show, uh, McCarthy directing his big donors in California to have fundraisers for DeSantis. I mean, what the hell? When is, when is Marjorie Taylor Greene going to tell her best friend, Kevin McCarthy, to endorse her friend, Donald Trump? Is she so MAGA, as she claims? Okay. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I want to see. Okay, Laura, where do people go on your social media to get more of this? And of course, you'll recall from our prior reporting how Kevin McCarthy went on CNBC last week or about two weeks ago, and he said, I'm not sure if Donald Trump is the strongest candidate. He said that. That's what he said. And then uh, he got all of this crap from MAGA World. Oh, you betrayed him. You said you don't know if he's the strongest candidate. Betrayal. How dare you betray Donald Trump by saying you don't know if he's the strongest Republican candidate. So then McCarthy had to go to Breitbart and uh, go on Trump's social media platform and say, Donald Trump is the strongest and it's just the media that's trying to build, uh, create this wedge between us. I never said that. Donald Trump's the absolute strongest that there, that there is. I mean, it's so completely embarrassing. Here's how CNN reported what went down. Play the clip. Yeah, a day of cleanup yesterday for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He held a call, called the former president yesterday to apologize, according to new reporting from our colleagues Melanie Zanona and Kristen Holmes, where he both apologized, he told the former president that he misspoke, and of course, he blamed reporters for taking the comments out of context, according to McCarthy. But that wasn't where it ended, Sarah. He also had an exclusive interview with Breitbart News, a right-leaning right-leaning news agency to try to talk more about why he believed Donald Trump was the strongest candidate to beat Joe Biden. Later, his campaign sent out a fundraising email saying that Donald Trump was stronger than ever. This just goes to show you that Kevin McCarthy knows that his right flank is so important for him to hold on to his speakership. He cannot anger people in his conference who are getting behind the former president, who are fervently behind him at all times, no matter what that means in terms of defending Donald Trump. And that is why Kevin McCarthy went out of his way yesterday to go ahead and apologize to the former president and then in subsequent interviews make it clear that he does believe Donald Trump could be a strong contender to be Joe Biden in the 2024 presidential election. Sarah? Oh, there you have it, folks. This MAGA Republican Party is beyond dysfunctional. It's beyond repair. I'm grateful that there is a pro-democracy adult party right now, the Democrats. I don't agree with them on everything, but they're certainly trying to make things better. They're acting like adults. They're acting responsibly. Made up of liberals, progressives, conservatives, independents, people not affiliated with political parties who actually show they love our country with actions, not just this MAGA Republican co-opting of our symbols while they engage in horrific conduct. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. We'll see when we get the Kevin McCarthy. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Cult leader Donald. 
until next time, I'm Ben Mycellus. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. Thanks to your support. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. Have an excellent day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Say Instagram. Not at Midas Touch. Keep up with the most important news of the day. Get off your couches, bitches. Make some free phone calls. Lazy fucks. Don't just wait till next year to do something about it. Fucking complacent bitches. Let's see. John Durham testifies. Blah, blah, blah. Fox News melts down on it after unexpected surprise win for Biden. Five. Yeah. Hold on. 497. Yeah, yeah. That is a. I saw that. That's a job. Um, jobs were like. Twice, almost 500,000 jobs in this past month. Twice the expected predictions. Fox News host goes off script and calls Trump a loser live on TV 22 hours ago. Here, Donald Trump still with that widely 56% to Ron DeSantis at 22, Ramaswamy at 5, Pence at 4, uh, and down the list from there. Part of his challenger's argument is that if you go back to the 2018 election, every two years with Trump as the either titular head or actual head of the Republican Party, um, Republicans have underperformed in those national elections. And yet when you look at the polling, it shows that, that Republican... Uh, voters believe that, that he's going to win. And part of the appeal of Donald Trump is that he is a winner. Well, those lo- those losses in the midterms and eventually the presidency are not uh, are disappointing performances and losses. Uh, they're real. They happened. There's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. And the case can be made that he's a loser. <laughs> because since he got elected in 2016, he's compiled a string of them. Trump woke up to salt in his wounds as once loyal cult follower Brett Hume described the former president during his recent interview as, quote, And the case can be made that he's a loser. But when you think about it, it's pretty tame. But for the once Trump propaganda network, well, it's a little more than that. Here, Donald Trump still with that widely 56% to Ron DeSantis at 22, Ramaswamy at 5, Pence at 4, uh, and down the list from there. Are Donald Trump's opponents running a conventional campaign, and is there anything they should be doing differently to change this dynamic? Well, to look at it, the persistence of Trump's lead, and it's been in this range for you know many, many weeks now, you would you'd almost believe that the old rules of politics about how you win elections have been repealed, and Mr. Trump does not have to abide by them. Indeed, he doesn't. He continually talks about how he didn't lose in 2020, which is, you know, most people believe he did lose. First of all, I won in 2020 by a lot, okay? You Let's get that straight. I won in 2020. You know that this, and if you look at all of the tapes, if you look at everything that you want to look at, you take a look at Truth to Vote, where they have people stuffing the ballot boxes on tapes. Let's go to I guess a lot of his hardcore supporters do not. Um, but that's, it's Hornbook politics, you know, that you're supposed to 
you know, you're supposed to talk about the future, and the elections are not about the past, they're about the future. Well, Trump doesn't seem to care about that, and look at where he stands. Uh, the other candidates are doing the conventional things, um, and the numbers haven't budged. Now, maybe they will, um, but the, it, they look pretty daunting in Trump's favor right now. I'm not sure how long that will last, but it's lasted a long time so far. Yeah, part of his challenger's argument is that if you go back to the 2018 election, every two years with Trump as the either titular head or actual head of the Republican Party, um, Republicans have underperformed in those national elections. And yet when you look at the polling, it shows that, that Republican uh, voters believe that, that he's going to win. And part of the appeal of Donald Trump is that he is a winner. Where does that disconnect go and how can uh, Trump's opponents make that case that perhaps uh, on, on winnability that that's an issue? Well, those, those losses in the midterms and eventually the presidency are not uh, our disappointing performances and losses. Uh, they're real. They happened. There's no doubt about it. There's no way around it. And the, and the case can be made that he's a loser because since he got elected in 2016, he's compiled a string of them. Either he or his, his supported candidates has lost too many races. But the history of primaries suggests that people don't cast strategic votes in favor of the candidate they think most likely will win. By and large, they don't. And right, right now, people are voting their hearts, and they're voting. But they tend to vote in primaries for the candidates that they feel closest to, or that they, you know, they they they'd like to see president. They're not voting about who they think will get elected. Uh, that may come back to haunt the Republican Party in 2024 because um, you look at the Democrats and what they think of the race. They think Biden. They think that Trump is going to win the nomination, and they think Biden will beat him because he did beat him. And in the wake of it, Brett Hume spoke with Bear and further reiterated just how unhinged the former president was, specifically when discussing the accusations of mishandling classified documents. One is that his answers on the matters of the law seemed to me verge on incoherent. Um, he seemed to be saying that the documents were really his and that he didn't give them back when he was requested to do so and when they were subpoenaed because, you know, he wasn't ready to because he hadn't sorted them and separated the classified information or whatever They're from his golf his shirts underwear. or whatever he was saying. It was not altogether clear what he was saying, but he seemed to believe that the documents were his, that he had declassified them, evidence to the contrary, and 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 therefore he, you know, he, he could do whatever he wanted with them, which I don't think is going to hold up in court. Secondly, when you asked him what his pitch was to the kind of suburban female voter that he had lost in 2020, his answer was to talk about how he didn't lose the 2020 election. I don't think that's an appealing uh, message for the future, and, I, and I'm sure his legal and political advisors were wincing all the way through his answers on both those points. Here's the thing. While Republicans are trying to play, look over there, it's all a means to deflect from the reality that, number one, their front runner is in a world of shame. Number two, the Biden administration continues to prove that it's far more popular in the polls. Well, it really depends who's running in 2024. This is all candidate-based. And if it's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, I think it's going to be I don't think anyone is ever going to have a landslide. But when you look at all of the data, it suggests 
that Trump, if he's in the race, he makes it about Trump. And people have very clear views about that. His diehard supporters, you see him gaining, gaining, gaining in the primaries and falling, falling, falling in the general election. And Biden picking up more independents, more suburban voters, people who could be swayed back by a more moderate Republican candidate, potentially. But this is, and you look at the NBC approval ratings, it's like a race to the bottom. So Kamala's approval rating is higher than Nikki Haley's. Mike Pence's, Ron DeSantis's, Tim Scott, all people who want to be the Republican candidate. And Donald Trump's net negative rating makes Kamala look like the most successful woman in history. It's negative 56, right? So this is a guy who seems to be sweeping the primary season with you know each new bit of information about uh, another indictment coming. And last night, we all heard audio of him showing people a classified document. He lied to Brett Baer, right? He said there was no document. We heard shuffling of papers. And he sounds like a teenager. Hey, guys, isn't this cool? Look what I got. Talking about the nation's secrets. Not a personal so what thing. About, what about her, though? Like, it's obviously so that she doesn't resonate with the American public. That it's not. Whatever is happening right now is not working. I don't know.